Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here live. It's great to have those of you who are connecting with us online, wherever you are. We're uh, grateful to have you here. I know there's all kinds of different uh, reasons uh, that may, you may or may not be able to be here, and so we're grateful that we can have this technology to connect with you and to connect with those that you don't get to see, but I get to see, so they're here, and it's, it's always fun uh, to be face-to-face. And, uh, you know, we... Uh, one of, someone asked me this last week, just t- talking about in this season, are we connected as a church and wondering who's really out there, how many people are there, um, what's going on with that? And I just want to just uh, leave you with a little encouragement, I think, for us is, uh, y- you know, when you think of on- people connecting online, we still have about 200 different households that are in- engaging online. Now, that's down quite a bit from when we first started broadcasting, um, but we also have added you all who are here live, and so uh, we not really sure exactly what all those numbers mean, but we do know that we're not quite back to probably pre-coronavirus attendance, but the church continues. We have more people every week engaging live, and it's so when we were talking about those numbers this last week, we just thought, well, it'd be good for people to understand, because sometimes, especially those of you watching online, you may see right now a little number 40 and think, oh, there's 40 of us watching, but there's actually a lot more than that when we look at the analytics and the different sites that we use, so it kind of, that was encouraging to a lot in leadership. We just want to let you know, Seacoast is there. We're out there. You're there. We're here, and uh, we do believe that uh, God is continuing to do good things, um, it is obviously a new road forward, and it looks different for all of us in all walks of life in every industry, uh, but we believe that God will continue to move. Uh, it's been really encouraging to see new families joining us, even here on Sunday mornings, live and in person, and uh, continue to receive uh, our Connect cards, which, by the way, if you're new, go to Respond.Church, let us know that you're here, or if you're live and you're new, go to Respond.Church, fill out a Connect card so we can connect with you. Uh, but those kind of things have been encouraging to us and just want you to know that, you know, the church is different, but the church of Jesus will prevail no matter what happens. And we believe that also the u- local church of Seacoast will continue to, as long as we stay on the mission of what Jesus has for us, that he wants to do something in, um, around, and through us. And so be encouraged with all of that church, wherever you are uh, we love, we, we believe that God still wants to move and is still moving. So let's pray. I kind of gave you all a challenge last week to take, or a couple weeks ago, to take the month of August to be praying for just a new, a renewed vision, a renewed sense of God's spirit moving among us and propelling us forward because we believe that this is a season in the life of our country, in the life of our community right here in North San Diego And with a lot of our ministry partners around the world, we believe that they're going through the same thing. And it's a season where hearts are open to something more, to real answers and real hope. And so we want to be praying for that. Not that we can just get returned to life the way it used to be. Although there are days when I say, I just want to get back to February. Just, I I don't even care. Even the things about life before coronavirus that were lame, just let me get back to that. At least let's get there. But the truth is, I think God wants something more. And as a church, we don't want to long to go backwards. We want to long to go forward. And I believe that's what Jesus wants to do around the globe. So we're going to be praying for that. Let's pray for that right now together, and then we'll jump in to the text. Lord God, we thank you so much that since you came 2,000 years ago, and you made a promise to your followers, the promise you made was that 
you promised that we would face many trials. But then you kept going on and said, but take heart because I have overcome every single one of those. And so, Lord, we thank you that the trials we are in, though maybe not as great as others in other parts of the globe, maybe not as great as others in other times in history, Lord, there are trials. They're real for us. And God, we thank you that in these, you're present. And Lord, I thank you that not only are you present, but you meet us and you want to speak life into us here. And Lord, that you have a future for us, a flourishing in our relationship with you. And Lord, I believe that there are friends of ours that want to know you. They don't know it yet, maybe. But God, you want to invite them into friendship with you. God, would you use us, use our church, use our brothers and sisters of Christ all over the world to help us be united around what matters most, and that's you and what you have done for us. So we pray that you would unleash your spirit among us. Would you unleash your spirit in our communities for your name, that you can be made great. We thank you, Jesus. We give you this time, and we give you the future of Seacoast and the future of each of us. It's in your hands, and that's the best place it could be. So we thank you for that now, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you, actually today, so I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in a bunch of different places. So I was going to give you one place, but it's so many different places that uh, the very first one's in First Peter. So if you like to follow along, if you like to take notes, you're going to have to, there's a lot going for us today. Uh, we do have screens now outdoors for those of you. And uh, we have the, uh, yeah, I know, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> and then we also uh, have, we'll provide a lot of these verses on the screen for you if you are online. Because what we're really looking at here is we are going to take the next few weeks here. We are kind of in a season as people, as a nation, as I mentioned, where things are really there's a lot going on. There's a lot to sift through. We're bombarded with information, and a lot of the information we are bombarded with is conflicting, and it, may de- it de- kind of depends on your go-to sources of information or your friend group that sometimes we are looking at the same things but hearing it differently. I don't know if you've noticed that. I just noticed that among a few people. And, and, and we seem to have that even exaggerated more than ever before right now. And part of it is we're in a world where we've all become more tribal. We've all kind of, it, it, technology itself has forced us to be more tribal, meaning we tend to hear what we like to hear because our devices learn what we like to hear. Learns what we like to read, what we like to watch. It learns what you like to buy. Your Amazon homepage is not my Amazon homepage, probably. <laughs> because Amazon knows what you want to buy before you buy it. They tell you what you like. And so we, and, and the people who are like you hear the same thing. And so we kind of are hearing all of this stuff. So the result is we now are in a world where everything can become and sometimes has become divisive. You with me on that? Has anyone else noticed or is it just me? <laughs> and so what we want to do is take a few weeks and we're calling this series, it's nothing creative, it's thinking biblically. But it's thinking biblically really about all these issues. So our tagline is thinking biblically about justice, grace, or sorry, justice, mercy, and love. And we've been hearing a lot about justice. We hear a lot about unity. We hear about love. We hear about all those things. Yet we hear it in a very tribal way that where one person hears that and say, yes, 
I'm all about unity with my people. <laughs> and, and so what I want to do is take a few weeks, say, as Christians, how does our understanding of the world, according to God's view, shape how we respond in a divided place? So if I'm the only one who needs this, just listen to me process out loud for myself. And if you could use this as well, which I believe we could all use a little dose of truth from time to time, that our prayer is that this would help us to live out true justice among each other, true mercy, and true love as Christians and as Christians interacting in our world. So I want to start with this, though. It starts with, we're calling it thinking biblically. You know, one of the things that sometimes frustrates me about the reputation of Christianity when it's, oh, well, you're all just weak-minded, small-minded people. You just believe whatever you're told. Christians don't think about anything, which we know that's an exaggeration. That is completely not true. Some of the most intelligent people in the world are people of faith and have been people of faith. Certainly, there are intelligent people in the world who are not people of faith, but the corner on intelligence is not outside the community of faith. But sometimes, as Christians, we skip that part of thinking and thinking deeply. And if you looked, and if any of my friends who connect with us online or any former teachers who knew me in high school would say, Ryan, you're one to talk. But my life has changed, okay? It's a little different than I used to be. But I like to kind of process and think more deeply on things. And it really is a very biblical thing. In fact, first, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter is talking to a church who's facing persecution. And he's encouraging them with the message of Jesus and saying, remember where salvation comes from, it's in Jesus. And in verse 13, he says this, so therefore, prepare your minds for action, be sober in spirit, in your, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he uses this Greek word, there's two Greek words used for mind in, in scripture. They mean kind of the same thing, but this one di- directly means kind of how you process, your process of thinking. So he's saying, your process of thinking, prepare your mind, the process of thinking for action. Be sober in spirit, and that idea of sober in spirit means try to be level-headed, be grounded. Don't be so, I'm all over here one day, I'm all over here the next day, I just heard this, and now I'm gonna, he's saying, now be sober in spirit, but prepare your minds for action. This is an interesting word that means nothing to us, so therefore we, in, in uh, English, we translate it to prepare, but it's a, a word that actually conveys this idea of gird your loins. Now, that means, I, I mean, I don't even like saying that. It sounds ridiculous. Gird your loins. But girding your loins is this ancient, uh, near, in the ancient Near East, to gird your loins is people, the men would wear robes. If you've been around church, you've seen flannel graphs. Maybe as a kid, you saw, you know, people wearing robes. And girding your loins literally meant you take your robe, pull it through your legs, and tie it around your waist, effectively making your robe into pants. And the purpose of that was that so that you could run or you could fight. So this is the Greek word that means pull your robe through your legs and wrap it around your waist. It's easier to say prepare (laughs) than to say that. So he's saying... Do that with your mind. In other words, don't be lazy in your thinking, but engage your mind. Let your mind, your very process of thinking, be prepared to respond. Be prepared for action. You're going to have to engage your mind. In fact, Jesus used that same word for mind in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, when he's quoting the greatest command according to the Jewish faith. And it's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, your strength, 
and with all your mind is what we have here in the New Testament when Jesus says it. And love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, don't just love God out of the emotion of who you are, but it's okay to love the Lord your God with all your mind as well. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul is writing, and he says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the way you process information. Let that be shaped. Let that change. The other use of the word mind, again, kind of not so much the process of how you uh, uh, or how you process information, but just your intellect itself. So this would be more like just your knowledge. Again, it's used many times in Scripture. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, with that other use of mind. says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I want to put on the screen for you, this is the, the New International Version. I like the way it's translated. It's a little easier to understand. It says, do not live under the control of sin, if you do, you will think about what sin wants. Live under the control of the Spirit, and if you do, you will think about what the Spirit wants. So your mind is engaged in actually thinking differently. And in this case, Paul is writing and saying, when we are living according to our new selves, our new identity, that our minds, our actual intellect, now is thinking and engaged with what the Spirit wants, not what we want. One more for you. I have it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Again, Paul's writing. He's talking about your new life in Christ. And he says, I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in your intellect, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. I want you to get that. You're being renewed with a new mind, your intellect, which has been created, get this, to be in the likeness of God. So when we really want to process how do we interact with others, how do we understand how we live, we want to understand our original identity is we are created with the ability to be, or we are created in the likeness and the image of God. And Paul would say, so let our minds be transformed to that, to think as a spirit thinks, to live as a spirit lives, and to engage your mind, which can understand the likeness of God. Now get the rest of that. What is the likeness of God? In righteousness and holiness and truth. So as our minds are being transformed, as we're engaging our minds as Christians, we're engaging our minds, we're actually in the likeness of God. And what does that look like? And there's a few words there, that righteousness, holiness, and truth. And today what I want to do is I want to double click on that word righteousness. Because that is a churchy word. Maybe you've said it a lot. Maybe you've heard it a lot. And maybe when you hear it, you think, yeah, that's, yeah, I want to be righteous. Maybe you've said, you're so self-righteous. Do we even understand the word righteous? Because being righteous is in the image of God. And it's what you and I, it is the identity that exists for you and for me. To be righteous. And we're actually called to use our minds in a way that we are right, righteous. Now, what does that mean? This word actually conveys this idea of being right. Now, it's not being right in all of your opinions, by the way. So some of you are like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm a Christian. I'm righteous. That means I'm always right. In a way, it does mean that. 
but it means you're always right with God and right with others. It's not you're always right in your opinion. It, it has this idea of being right in your relationship with God and being right in your relationship with others. And in the original creation, man and woman were created. God said it is very good, and their relationship was righteous. It was right. There was nothing separating them from a relationship with God, and there was nothing separating them in relationship with one another. Could you imagine in your home if you had a perfectly right relationship with your spouse or with your kids or with your neighbors, and it was always right? There was no conflict. How amazing would that be? Now, some of you say, hey, that's our home, and that's because you've been married for a month. But, so, hang in there. (laughs) But so, what would that mean to be righteous? Because what happened is we were created with this ability to be completely right with God and with one another, and then sin enters in. And as soon as sin entered in, all of a sudden, we started defining what was right, not based on what God said, but what we felt. And as soon as we start thinking right relationships are based on me being right or being okay with this or me thinking this is the way to think, all of a sudden conflict steps in. Could you imagine if our world where nobody thought, hey, I'm going to make this decision based on what's best for me and only me. What if we all erased that and said, I'm going to make my decisions based on what is good for you as someone created in the image of God. What if everybody thought that way? How amazing would that be? Some of you think like, yeah, uh, that would never happen. It's difficult to happen. But that's how we're created. We're actually created with the, act, the actual ability to not have to define the world on what is always best for me, but on what God and his definition of what is best. And as soon as we veer from that, that's when all of a sudden we see sin. And what comes with sin from the very beginning of the story The very first story, we have shame comes in. Then right after that, we have jealousy, anger, and murder. That's the second story about humans in the Bible. Escalated quickly. (laughs) Because all of a sudden, we started thinking, wait a minute. You're getting something I want. Who, Who said you should have more? Why is that person giving you favorable treatment, not me? And so jealousy. And then backbiting. And then maybe some gossip. And then there's this power struggle. And then there's all of a sudden anger towards one another and violence. And the first 11 chapters of Scripture show us the cycle of when sin enters, what happens. And it all is as we walk further and further from righteousness, having right relationships with God and with one another. Carries on to actually, Jesus talks about the importance of this. And if Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the idea of hunger and thirst to be in right relationship with God and each other. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus writes, He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. So let's seek to be right with God, to have that righteousness and be right with one another. That's what the kingdom of God looks like, Jesus would say. On the screen for you, I have Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. 
He says, don't go on presenting the members of your body. In other words, just who you are, what you do, how you think. Don't go on presenting yourself as a body, uh, members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, the way you think, the things you do, the way you live your lives, quit presenting it as members of unrighteousness. In other words, and this would be, again, things that are by your definition of what is right and good, which leads to conflict. But he says, present yourself, your whole lives, as members. Present it to God as instruments of righteousness to preserve that relationship with God and with others. As it continues on, in the Old Testament, we have in Jeremiah chapter 9. Again, I have this on the screen for you. I told you we have a lot we're unpacking today or giving you today. And this is all set up for next week, by the way. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 says, let the wise not boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have understanding and they know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So if we look at what God delights in, he delights in loving kindness, which is a word for mercy, justice, we're going to look at next week, and righteousness. And in fact, justice and righteousness are mentioned almost 200 times in Scripture and almost always together. But notice how it starts off. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. I was thinking about just this last few months, and uh, I've mentioned before, I actually kind of, I like politics. I don't share my political views um, with you. My wife hears them. My dog hears them. People in my house might hear me, me spout them out. But I actually like politics. I think it's really interesting. But this year has been kind of crazy seeing all of this. But there's been many times, and I've shared it with you already, where I've shared the phrase or said the phrase out loud, what is wrong with everyone? Is everybody a bunch of idiots? And the reason why is because none of them possess the superior knowledge and viewpoint of the world as I do. It's really evident every time I hear other people think. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And see, really at the core of that is what we see is one of the problems going on because I'm probably not the only one in my house thinking that. And probably some of you see the same thing and you think the opposite viewpoint and you say, who could not, who would think differently? They're a bunch of idiots. You just called me an idiot in your own dining room table. And what happens is this is actually a root of us boasting in our wisdom. Of course, my knowledge is solid. It's secure. I'm so much smarter than every 25-year-old posting on Instagram. I guarantee you. Boasting in my knowledge. Maybe it's in your boasting in your strength. This isn't just your physical strength. This is in your ability to do things, to accomplish things. This is actually what we have in the root of oppression and things throughout history of the world. And sometimes the oppressors actually flip-flop depending on who gains power and strength, who has the ability to accomplish what they want to accomplish. This is not a uniquely American thing, by the way. 
This is called a human thing. On every corner of the globe, there is oppression, and usually it's because someone in power, and it might be in power in a home when they abuse a child. It might be a government power. It might be one race against the other. It might be all kinds of different things. And that's a way of, well, we have, we got here. We have the power. We have the strength. And when that's unchecked, when we don't use our power for good, when it's not by God's definition of why we have it, you can see it's not hard to find why we end up with conflict in our world. Riches, a little, kind of the same thing. Not just your position, but it's again, what can you accomplish? But so Jeremiah says, don't boast in these things. These lead us down the wrong path, the wrong track. Creates more and more division. But boast in this, that you know the Lord and have understanding, the ability to process and think, to actually understand who God is, that he is a God of kindness, of justice, and righteousness on the earth. And if that's who he is and we're made in his image, then guess what? The more we know him and understand him in his ways, we become people of loving kindness, which is mercy, of justice, and right, righteousness, right relationships on the earth. I believe it's a great opportunity for Christians and the church to rise up, to change the narrative, to begin saying, if I'm in the image of God, what if the world as they saw me, they saw God? That's what we're called into. That's why Jesus talks about discipleship. Go and make disciples, meaning help people understand how to know me and let the, my life be lived through them. If we all live like Jesus, that would be an amazing thing. What if we boasted in that, not our wisdom, not our strength or our riches? So there's a problem with all this. That has to do with being right. How do we apply this? What does it look like to live right with others? Because that's where it gets a lot harder. And even in Scripture, from the very beginning, when, and, and throughout the Scripture, when it talks about righteousness and justice, often he talks about injustice or injustice and introduces a new word that we're going to look at more next week. But this, but this word of... <laughs> That's okay. There's a, a new word <laughs> that will come. You never know what's going on. Uh, of to be wicked. Rasha, which also means to be guilty. And you have this idea that comes out in Scripture of those, when there's injustices in the world, there's guilty. Now, when I look at other people, is there guilt? When I want to live right with others and I look at them and say, yeah, but you don't know them, they're guilty. They don't treat me right. How can I possibly live righteous with them? Sorry, I pointed your way when I said that. <laughs> How can I possibly <laughs> live right? How can I have right relationships when the other party isn't interested? How can I pursue harmony when it seems the others who think differently are against us? against me, against my way of thinking. It gets a little more difficult, does it not? When we think about righteousness, it's hard to live it out when we're living among guilty people. Everywhere. 
But what did God do with us among the guilty people? Because I have news for you. You are guilty. In fact, just look at the person next to you and remind them of that truth today. You are guilty. Just go ahead. Tell them right now. It's a good reminder. <laughs> Some of you are like, I was telling you that last night. Remember during that fight? Yeah. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, he's talking, he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of that message because there's a power of God for salvation and everyone who believes. Now verse 17 says this, in the message about Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And the righteous will live by faith. So in the good news, it's actually God's righteousness, who he is and the right relationships is revealed to us. As we go on, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation because I like kind of the way it's described. It's twice as long as the, as the direct translation, but un- hear this. I have it on the screen for you. The sacrifice of God shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in, the, in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So we are the guilty ones. We do not re- uh, deserve God's righteousness given to us, but that's the very point. The sacrifice of Jesus shows that he was being fair and just when he gave his life for us to demonstrate his righteousness, that he knows what is right based on his standards, not ours. If humans defined the biblical story, we would not have God come to us. We would just be working our way up the ladder time and time again. But the righteousness of God, defined by what he says is right and good, demonstrates that while we were guilty, he came to us to justify us. And justify, another church word, means to declare righteous. It means that you are now right. It means your relationship with God is good. And your journey of transformation now is part of grace. Another way to think of this is Jesus became what we are, so we may become what he is. That was God's definition of what was right, what was righteous. That he became what we are, sinners, living on earth, to, so we may become who he is, right with God and right with others. It's the core of our definition, of our identity. So if we are righteous now, now, how does that change how you look at others? See, God looked at us past our guilt, past our wickedness, and said, I'm going to come to you. As followers of him, we're made in his image, so we're like God. So then how should we respond to the wicked? How should we respond to those who don't agree? How should we respond to the idiots in the world? If we're in his image, maybe our response should be the same response that he gave to us. And if Christians responded to those that we don't agree with the same way God responded to us, how would that change the narrative? What about even in the church? 
Do you know, I've heard of churches where people had different opinions and even had conflict about it somewhere. (laughs) What if even in that, we were able to look at each other and say, this is a person created in the image of God and therefore has value. And I'm going to treat each person as if they're in the image of God, even when I don't agree. And in this season that we're living through, we have a great opportunity to practice that pretty much every day, do we not? We have a presidential election coming up. It's going to give us more opportunity to practice how to treat people who might think or vote differently than you. And every time I feel tempted to not, every time I feel tempted to say, but they are the guilty ones, God just gives me a little reminder. Like, yeah, imagine that. What if the guilty always got what they deserved, Ryan? Wouldn't that be great? Yes! Wait, wait, no, trick question. Everyone else guilty, not me. It actually changes the way we want to live. What if, do, do you know that there's some people who think that you should always wear masks and just do it and, and be gracious and do that? And do you know there's some people who say they think this whole mask thing is crazy? Did you know that? There's people who have different opinions on that. Yes, now I am walking near a landmine. I get it. <laughs> But what about in the family of faith? We said, even with someone with a different opinion than me, they're in the image of God. And therefore, my desire here is not that I am right in my opinion, but my desire is that I am right in my relationship. And just as Jesus gave up himself for me, though he didn't have to, He did that so I could be right with him. What if we started living that way all the time? And I know some of you say like, well, yeah, but then I'll never get my way. Okay. What if you don't? Did Jesus get his way on the cross? Or did he say, these people created in my image are worth it? That person who thinks differently than me is worth it. That person who doesn't know Jesus yet, who might be spouting off against Christians, that person's created in the image of God, and he or she is worth it. As we end, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Verse 21, I want to invite the worship team to start finding their way back up. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He said, he made him, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Father God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Those with the right relationship with God and with others. You see, the early Christians experienced this righteousness of God and it propelled them to act in new ways that were revolutionary. In fact, this fall, we're going to begin a study in the book of Acts and we're going to see how as the early Christians processed their identity 
how that broke through racial tension, how it broke through the gender barriers, how this new community of faith was able to interact with a government that wasn't for them. See, these are all issues that were dealt with a long time ago. They never come up again. (laughs) Right? We're still living with those same issues. But the early Christians were transformed by the righteousness of God. And it was what he did on their behalf. And so as we end, the reminder is, this is who you are. It's not what you have to go do. It changes the way we behave, but it's already true of you. You already have the ability to live right with others. You have that ability. Jesus is that for you as he lives his life through you and through me. And I believe that that is the power that will transform our world. I believe that is the power that we need and the perspective we need to lean into issues of racial inequality. That's the power we need to lean into division among us politically and about the coronavirus. This is the power that breaks through all of that. And I believe when we understand that, that we start to see a revival of our hearts and of our community and of our nation. And so Dom's going to introduce a song to us. I think we've had it before, but we're going to sing it again. Uh, it's part of it, or all of it. It's however he goes. <laughs> it's called The God of Revival. And it's a song that reminds us that our God has the power for this very moment we're in. And for all of you here who have faith in Jesus, that power rests in you as well. For this moment and for the future. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that In you, you're a God who breaks through barriers. You're a God who heals hearts. You're a God who transforms us and transforms our community. Lord, and you give us the ability to actually be right with you and right with others because of what you have done. And Lord, that is what transforms. So would you speak to us here and as we sing these words and reminded of your power, God, would it become true and real to us now? We thank you and give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.